Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Today, I'm in San Antonio, Texas, a return visit for an annual conference on the cities of the future. And I am standing in a part of the city which really harkens back to the past. It is La Velita, where the old city has been restored as a pedestrian paradise full of shops and restaurants. And right behind me is the famous river walk and particularly the theater on the river walk in San Antonio. We are looking at how digitization and other modern inventions are changing cities, making them more livable, hopefully like this one, more walkable. Paula Gold-Williams is the president and CEO of CPS Energy in San Antonio, Texas, and Clint Vince is the head of the energy practice at Denton's, the world's largest law firm. Welcome to the broadcast, both of you. Thank You're you. here for a good and sufficient reason, and that is you've both been energetic pioneers of the city of the future, sometimes known as the smart city. After a couple of years of this, how far have we gotten? It takes a lot of trying to bring everybody along. And so this rushing to execution um, happens naturally. But what we really want is we want the community, we want the globe to be excited and starting to know what we're doing. As a matter of fact, they should join us as we're doing it. And now the creativity is coming to us naturally. So I think we're making great progress and we're starting to think about sensors and all types of things in practical application. Clint, you have done something unique. Within your law firm, you created a think tank, which I've never heard of before, uh, to look just at smart cities. Uh, how is that coming? It's really been exciting. Uh, Paula is the chair of our energy pillar for the think tank, together with former Secretary of Energy, Ernest Moniz. We have 14 pillars looking at all of the aspects of a smart city or connected community. With the think tank, we've really, we've grown to about 350 members globally and we've been learning a lot and our definitions have been uh, evolving and our applications have been evolving. Paula, back to those technologies, those that you are sharing and those that are coming to you, what are the critical technologies in moving a city to its digital future? We categorize them in two groups. One of them has to do with operational excellence and changing the evolution of what we do. Of course, at the foundation of everything across the world are fossil fuels that really are critical to, to how the, the world functions. But what we're starting to see is more people being a lot more creative in trying to use different perspectives, um, air capture and um, carbon capture and and different mechanisms that will really this get us there. This is to provide electricity. It is to provide the electricity. Because you can't have the smart city without really excellent electric supply. Well, well, absolutely. I mean, the 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 measure of um, the environment and the measure of technology really happens as we deliver that power to to homes and businesses. So it's really measured that way, so you don't double count it. But the generation on the back end is important, as well as on the customer usage and on products and services. Clint, what are you learning from cities and utilities 
and countries around the world in your global position as at Denton's? We're really learning daily. Um, and your earlier comment about smart cities was very insightful. The smart cities started out really as a technology play where uh, tech companies were looking at the Internet of Things and sensor technology and artificial intelligence, but they weren't really integrating it with all of the infrastructure modernization that you and Paula have just been discussing. So now, when we look at a smart city or connected community, we're really looking at modernization of all types of infrastructure, not just digital, which still includes the Internet of Things and, um, and sensor technology, but also physical infrastructure and social infrastructure, governance, and how the community accepts the changes that are coming. So when you look at San Antonio now, and to come back to your point on resilience, resilience for San Antonio now doesn't just mean um, preparation for turbulent weather. It means protection against cyber attacks. CPS Energy, Paula's company, has recorded that they're getting two million hits a day from foreign state actors, and now with the intensified conflict with Iran, an additional 50 million attacks a month on just their utility. Clint, looking at your global picture, what cities do you think are really making progress towards uh, this, the definition of small? I think you're going to see very dramatic changes. Examples of cities that have already begun would be Amsterdam with their amazing bicycle traffic and reduction of cars. Singapore is one of the best smart cities probably in the world. But you're starting to see cities like Paris now talk about the 15-minute city, where they're going to try to create what they would call hyper-proximate neighborhoods, where you can have your work, uh, residence, and entertainment, and leisure, and healthcare all within a 15-minute radius of where you live. Portland is defining this as a 20-minute city uh, where they would do the same things except with respect to work. Um, Melbourne is doing rolling out pilots similar to Portland. And uh, Barcelona now has its super blocks, which are fascinating and beautiful, and they remove um, tra all transportation except bicycles and, and walking from uh, you know, portions of the downtown area of metropolises. I uh, have written and broadcast about smart cities, and the two things that I hear all the time that people ask me are, what about walkability mm. and what about low-income housing? I often say, you know, we are part of a whole ecosystem and network of people working together. One of the, the special things about our smart city progress is the partnership we have with our owner, the city of San Antonio. We also have a partnership with mayors all across San Antonio. There are 30 other incorporated areas plus um, counties. And it's important to us as we're attracting people to our community, we point out first that we want everyone to be able to experience technology. In our planning sessions with Paula and with the CPS officials and San Antonio officials, one of the greatest 
challenges is how do you reduce the digital divide and how do you make sure that the smart city is going to assist the entire city rather than, as you point out, just the affluent, which is a serious threat. Uh, thank you both very much. You're very gifted people on a very exciting journey. Eric Walsh is the city manager of San Antonio and at the epicenter of what's going on in creating a smart city in San Antonio. Eric, where is your emphasis? What is the thing that fits into the category of city of the future that you're working on now? We have identified three areas of San Antonio to be our innovation zones. And, and in each one of those zones, um, they're different in terms of characteristics. One zone um, could potentially be more traffic related and congestion related. Uh, a second zone, more information in terms of data and lighting. And the third, uh, more inclined and, and directed towards economic development and transportation and mobility. We have heard this morning that 30% of the population is not uh, on the internet, right. uh, as in Detroit and other cities. Um, so clearly that wouldn't be the starting point, would it? No, no. And, and we went through, the, through, the, through a process to identify the three different zones about, uh, about a year and a half ago. Working with our partners to identify uh, an area around our medical center, um, which is a high employment area. Uh, very uh, di directed not only in terms of acute hospital care, but also biomedical sciences. Uh, the second zone is our downtown zone, which is ha has a mix of uh, a surge in residential over the last 10 years, but is also a high visitor area. And then the third area is a uh, former Air Force base that has been converted into an economic development zone um, that has seen a huge increase in terms of commercial right outside that zone. Um, and, and so three very different areas. And, and, and the only common theme between those three is that they are all equally important to us as a community and they will continue to grow as a community. Um, San Antonio has a reputation for very smart city management. You've created several huge attractions, not obviously just the Alamo because that's what we think of when we think of San Antonio, but you have Riverwalk. You have this region here of old buildings exquisitely refurbished with lots of restaurants, night spots, great to walk around, a pedestrian-friendly environment. Can you expand that, and is that part of the city of the future? It has to be, um, and mobility is a big piece of that. Um, and as we work through uh, further redevelopment, um, we're going to need to take into account those traffic patterns and how folks move, uh, whether they are residents or visitors. Um, in some parts of our city, uh, that's going to be key because we'll need to continue to invest in those areas. Where do you stand on public transportation and how does it fit in the city of the future? We are a, a culture um, and a spread out city that has enjoyed the vehicle but there are uh, some parts of town that uh, need that investment in public transportation in order to get to school or go to work or have opportunity. Are you ready for drones? Both our fire and our police department have, have, uh, have uh, gone and gotten employees who are FAA certified as drone operators. But to answer your question about Amazon dropping off packages using drones, 
we're not ready. Um, and we need to start thinking through how to become ready. Um, the, 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 the one part that we're also looking at as a city is going through our required update to our master plan at the airport. And um, I don't, you know, we're, we're talking about the next 20, 30, 40 years at our airport. What is the airport gonna look like? What is air travel gonna look like? Um, are we gonna be building the, 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 the train station of the 1880s that disappeared? Um, we don't have the answers to those questions. But if we think through them and we involve the right people in those conversations, then I think we end up better off uh, in terms of conclusions. I have been writing and broadcasting about cities of the future for a couple of years now. And the two regular questions I get are walkability and affordable housing. Mm -hmm. Are those on your list? They are. They are walkability. Um, Which you've done terribly well with. Well, I would argue, and I appreciate the compliment, I would argue that we have a lot more to do. Um, that we have a lot more to do. Um, uh, I think we need to do a much better job in terms of additional bike lanes, protected bike lanes as a community, uh, which is a priority of the mayor and the council. Um, affordable housing, um, we are, um, we're not in the same position that other cities in this country are in, but we're starting to see it. So we've made uh, pretty large investments over the last two to three years to not only um, uh, increase the amount of affordable housing, but also market housing. Uh, uh, a shortage of market housing will create uh, gentrification in some areas. So it's a balance between market and affordable. You have a tremendous anticipated growth rate. What is that? Uh, we're expecting another million people by 2040 here. You're going to be very busy for the rest of your career. I'm already busy. <laughs> I'll be busier, right? Um, but planning through what this city looks like and where our investments are at and uh, how technology can help is uh, part of the key. Dr. Digital is Andres Cavallo, professor of innovation at Texas State University. He has been looking at the digital future for many decades and is in part the author of 37 books. How long have you been peering into the future and adding noughts and ones to it? Since 1986. And what have you learned? That it is a fantastic journey and the answers are all around us. What is this city of the future going to be? How is it going to impact people who live in it? Yeah, I think that the definition of that varies depending on who you're talking to and what success is in San Antonio is different from the success in, you know, Little Rock, Arkansas or Seattle, Washington or, you know, Rochester, New York and on and on and on. And I think the interesting thing is um, how do we make life more convenient, safer, more abundant? Uh, more free for creativity, more f uh, free for sharing and enjoying your family, your friends, the network of people that you work with and so on, so relationships, building what, better what relationships. What is the most important building block? I would say that there are three key building blocks that are supported by another traditional 
uh, steward of digitalization. So clearly you need information technology, you need software, you need computers, you may need the cloud, you need telecommunications as sort of your enabling technologies. But the three things that a city must do right in order to enjoy the wealth and, and the greatness of the journey is got to get energy right, got to get water and wastewater right, and you got to get mobility right. Those three things seem to be at the core of total success or some version of success. You said get energy right. Does that mean dependable energy, now referred to as resilience, or does it mean something else? First and foremost is dependable energy. I think the whole notion of our journey of decarbonization and how do we achieve it and when do we achieve it should be secondary to availability and affordability of energy. Uh, there is clearly a direct correlation between GDP growth, wellness creation, home ownership, literacy rates, and the reality of having power in your neighborhood, in your city. If you don't have power, you, you are in sub-zero. Uh, and if you've tied everything to power from automated cars, mm -hmm. uh, electric cars, of course, uh, uh, street lighting, mm -hmm. uh, emergency vehicles, and you lose power, the city is in terrible situation. Correct, but, but that assumes that, that, that the city has a design where the entire uh, network will collapse if, if a piece of the network is not working. And I happen to believe that, except for a few cases of uh, blackout, large blackouts like we had in you know, 2003, on August 14th in the East Coast and other times we have had them in other parts of other countries. 1965 in New York City, in fact, all up the East Coast. That's right. Long time ago, but very complete blackout. Yeah, and I, th and I think that that's part of the inheritance of the old design from Tesla and Edison days. Uh, we need to move to more of a microgrid, redundant, you know, uh, islanding capabilities, two-way power flow, two-way data flow. What I've been preaching since I built the first smart grid at Austin Energy in 2003 to 2010. Professor Digital, it's a great pleasure to have you on the broadcast. Oh, my God. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to see you. Thank you. Aaron Hardick is the chief analyst at Z Prime. It is one of the organizers of this great conference on the future of cities. Tell me about Z Prime to start with, Aaron. We, you're right. We, we do look at cities and how they're using technology, but Z Prime is a media research and events agency. We're based out of Austin, Texas, and Z Prime kind of got its start by surveying utilities on how they were using technologies. We were trying to understand what energy companies were doing with t technology across the whole energy value chain, and then we started to realize that energy touches so many other areas like transportation and healthcare. So we started looking at cities. One of the things that I do in my role at Z Prime is take that data and create content for it. So we write white papers, infographics, and then we produce webinars. Give me an idea of, of content for it. I can see how you publish it, but how is it applied? We want to 
to focus on thought leadership. How are different stakeholders looking at addressing emerging challenges within the industry? So we try to get a pulse on what's happening, where it's going, and then what needs to happen in order to take us from where we are to where we need to go. As an analyst who's looked at these things, what do you think are the critical areas for a city wishing to get to the next stage? Well, one of the things that you'll hear us talk a lot about today is, is inclusivity and inclusive design. How are you making sure that you're not leaving behind any, any social group or any person within a community when you try to digitalize things? You can't just have certain people with access to certain technologies that are innovative. And traditionally, those are in you know, the higher income areas. No, you can't have people on the wrong side of the digital divide who can't, don't have, are unbanked and really can't participate in the future. Right, and so we're looking at, I think one of the biggest areas is how do you make sure that cities are equitable and they're useful and accessible for all all classes or all people that inhabit them. And then I think the second thing is how, how quickly can we decar decarbonize most of these things? And how can we make sure that that's also done in an equitable way? You think about you know, Tesla owners, the people who had EVs first, or traditionally higher income people, but how do you make sure that you know, some of the lower income people have access to things like EVs as well? And uh, how do you visualize data in your work? How do you create it into something you understand that is actionable? We heard a really interesting quote from uh, one of the gentlemen at Deloitte. And he said, you have to have take data to be information, information to intelligence, and then intelligence to action. So how do you actually take meaning from numbers and be actionable from that? I think one of the things that you can do when you're gathering data is trying to pull out what it really means. You can get really lost in numbers. I find that taking a step back and thinking about what challenges we're actually trying to solve and what are the actual inputs that need to be taken into account when solving those challenges. And then visualizing them in a way where if you're taking a quick glance at um, these numbers, you can draw meaning from them. Can you give me an example? It's really, I think electric vehicles is a good example. Um, we're seeing a lot of innovation around geospatial information for electric vehicle charging infrastructure. Austin Energy, the local municipality serving the Austin area, they have this really innovative woman who has a background in GIS and she thought, well, if I can take all these data points of where people are charging their cars and overlay them onto like a heat map, so she's looking at She's taking that data, the GIS data, and kind of creating these heat maps to see you know, where people are charging their cars the most, what those rates are like. So that's a really good example of how you can visualize data, just taking it from the numbers, overlaying it that into that heat map. And so they're just kind of looking across these maps instead of having to go in and kind of crunch those numbers and, and pull them out manually. Erin, you're a young person, so you're going to be living in a city for many decades. What do you hope to see happen as a consumer of city services and livability rather than somebody making the changes possible? 
That's a good question. And I do still view myself as just kind of that consumer. I'm very new to this space. I've been here working in energy in cities for about four years, and I'm still trying to figure out what my role is as just kind of a, a citizen in the community and as someone who's working on these challenges. I would like to see, I would say one of the biggest things I'd like to see is traffic congestion issues. M the movement of people in general, I think that there has to be just a large disruption coming. I personally own a car. I don't really want to own a car moving forward, so I'd like to see cities to be um, more accessible. You can live without your car if you have public transportation, but a lot of public transportation, That's not true. a smattering of it. I've lived in two cities in which a car was just a disadvantage. One was London, the other was New York. But no other city I've lived in can you really live comfortably without a car because you don't have that density of public transport. Right. And the density, if I'm using that word correctly, really is what makes it possible to get rid of the traditional having a car, which becomes just a nuisance, really. I'm, I, from that perspective, Austin doesn't have that much public transportation. We have you know, a few bus lines. We don't really have anything like a tram or a subway. I'd like to see improvements in autonomous vehicles and ride sharing. How can you optimize the cars that are already owned by people and make them more um, ride, ride sharing or other people are using them and optimizing that asset that traditionally just sits around? I find the scooters which many cities find a nuisance. Many people walking on the sidewalk, like myself, who fell over one, find them a nuisance. But they are very interesting because they are transportation. I personally don't think it'd be very wise for me to get up on one, not at this point. But uh, I can, if I were younger, I certainly would. And I can see a huge new dimension in these impersonal transportation, these impersonal vehicles, which is really what you're talking about, the introduction of impersonal vehicles. Right. Uh, and I suppose the question there is, do we want to ride in a car that we don't own and won't see again? Uh, where will we have our stuff? Uh, which is a, a, a sociological question, probably. That is a good question. On the topic of scooters, I, I think they're collectively referred to among scooters and, and bike share and some of these other forms of micro-mobility. How that's the disruption of the last mile of transportation. I myself, I do use scooters. I live pretty close to, to downtown Austin and unless I'm going outside of the downtown area, I walk, bike, or use a scooter because it is the most efficient form of transportation. We did a study on scooters and we found that around 70% of folks who had scooters in their neighborhoods didn't want them there. But we also found that 30% of the riders that were using them were using them for a daily commute. So they weren't just using them occasionally. They were using them pretty consistently to get to and from work. So I, I think that they're trying to solve a problem. I'm not quite sure the scooter companies have really figured out how to do that, but there's... A, Certainly it's an indication of the way. And okay. I want to tell you that when I was a young man, uh, <clears throat> there was ride-sharing, and it was called thumbing. <laughs> you stood on the roadside, did this, and next thing you were sharing a ride. Aaron, it's a great pleasure to have you on the broadcast. We're grateful to our host, CPS Energy and Z Prime.
organizers of this extraordinary conference on the city of the future. And I'm looking at it from this old part of the city, but the city is looking forward, as are most American cities in the digital age. White House Chronicle is available as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen, we are there.